This is Top Dogs and Their Humans, and I am Susie Cox. In the 90s, I was Vogue from the hit TV show Gladiators, but these days I'm a presenter, mum of teens, and very proud dog owner. And you know what I've noticed about other dog owners? They love to talk. You'll meet someone walking the dog and they'll tell you their entire life story because they love their dog so much. So on this podcast, I'm snuggling up to some amazing pooches to find out what makes these canines and their owners tick. I'm going to be asking why their dogs are so important to them and who's really top dog. For this episode, I am really excited to be speaking to the incredible Nikki Beatnik. Nikki is an international DJ producer and musician who is consistently quoted as one of the best DJs in the UK. She's the person behind some of London's most legendary parties and club nights. She's played every festival and award ceremony under the sun and has DJed at the most A-list of parties from Beyonce to Ronnie Woods, as well as being a longtime collaborator, friend and tour DJ for Khalees. Plus, more recently, she's started the Mums That Rave movement and her successful hip-hop homes interior design business, as well as being the best-dressed person I would love to raid her wardrobe for the hats, glasses and boots, oh, and the trainers. Nikki is also a massive champion of rescue dogs, and her pooch, Purdy, and her have been almost inseparable since she first adopted her, and as you'll hear, she's become the love of her life. So hi, Nikki. Thank you for being on um, the Top Dogs and Their Humans podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm very good. How are you? I'm good. Do I call you DJ Nikki Beatnik or what What do we say? What do we call I you? I mean, it's a bit of a mouthful if you're going to say it before every question. <laughs> I mean, most I people... say Nikki. Yeah. Yeah, most people call me DJ Nikki. Like, even my good friends call me yeah. that. And no one knows my real surname. So I get packages and everything delivered to Nikki Beatnik. My postman knows me as that. But yeah, Nikki would, like, all my mates would be like, you know, DJ Nikki. So that's just always been what I've been called. My family call me Nick. um, And that's it, really. But whatever you want to call me is fine. Amazing. Amazing. I am so excited because I just say that DJ Nikki has my sort of dream job and my dream wardrobe and style I absolutely (laughs) love your clothes and I'm so fascinated about where you keep them all (laughs) oh my goodness well firstly I used to have a loft when I lived in Peckham for a long time and my spare room it was like um an old converted school so my spare room was a mezzanine but it would just had decks on it all my records and loads of clothes and floor to ceiling shoe boxes of trainers Oh and then God. I had a baby, so I, had to get, I gave away about 100 pairs of shoes oh my and trainers, God. and lots of them were, like, brand new, and <sighs> um, moved into a house. But, so it's got a garden because we were, like, obsessed with the fact we have to have outside space. But actually, the square footage is smaller, so my, now my wardrobe is disgusting. Everything's just shoved in, and there's, like, <laughs> amazing pieces that are literally just on four jackets at a time on hangers and stuff oh my god it's not ideal I need a Chloe Kardashian walk-in wardrobe of course you do that's what I need of course you do you need that <laughs> well you do because it's not just the clothes it's the hats the, oh, the yeah. accessories the sunglasses yeah and the trainers and the shoes oh my god I'm just literally every day I mean if you haven't seen Nikki's Instagram please go and look DJ Nikki Beatnik because it is just so cool I mean I think I'm quite a cool mum, but you, I think, completely raise the bar a million times as being <laughs> a super cool mum, from my perspective anyway. 
I never tried to be cool or anything. I'm no. just like, I'm quite a laid back person, but, um, you know, being a DJ and being around music people, I've, I've always been creative. I've got a degree in fine art and I came up from being a kid, just playing music and drawing and making things. So I used to make my own clothes and sew and knit and always designing. So that was the route that I wanted to go down. I wanted to do like fashion and design, but then, um, you know, music kind of took over when I was at art school. And I'd always DJed and I'd been to music school as well. So the two things go hand in hand. And there's literally pictures of me at four and five years old wearing things that I would wear now. Like stripy tops with, you know, like a big net skirt and a beret and a pair. It was just (laughs) always, that was just always me. I've never been any different. And so I've got clothes from like the 90s I would still wear now. My taste hasn't changed. Yeah, my nieces who are now, oh, one's just turned 20 and the other one's 20, nearly 24. And again, I had stuff from the 90s, obviously from that sort of same era. They stole the lot, literally, because yeah. my daughter's only just turned 15. So back then, I'm talking 10 years ago, she was too little. It wouldn't even, you know, conceive her having that. And I see them on sort of, you know, on social media. I'm like, God, I used to have a top like that. That is mine. That, that's mine. Give it back. You know, my, <laughs> now my daughter's 15. She's hoiking all my other stuff, anything that's left. I love it. Coming well, I, again. I stupidly gave away loads of amazing things, loads. And sometimes even from 10 years ago, I see pictures on stage. I'm like, where's that jacket? Oh, yeah, I gave that away. I do it all the time. And then I had all these Jeremy Scott trainers. I gave them to my neighbor. It's like, why did I do that? <laughs> so let's talk dogs, obviously. Um, you have at the moment currently Purdy, is that right? Yeah. What, yeah. what type of dog is Purdy? We don't know. She's a, a mix, but we know she's got pointer in her. Right. We think maybe a bit of lab. We rescued her from Cyprus and in Cyprus they do import a lot of dogs and there's a lot, you know, she was a street dog basically. Right. So we don't really know her history, but I know she had She's blind on one side and she's got a cataract in the other eye. And she was blind when we got her, but we didn't realize for ages. She just kept bumping into things. And basically someone had adopted her and flown her over and then decided it was too much work, maybe because she was blind. But I think also she didn't get on with the other dog. She had like bite marks on her. So I think another dog had been attacking her. And my sister was out for a walk with her two dogs and came across an old lady with this dog. And she said, oh, I'm just fostering her because someone adopted her and gave her away. And so my sister was like, oh, well, we might be able to take her. And she rang me up and I was doing a gig in Northampton. I went to like a Matthew Williamson private event with Matthew Williamson and a bunch of other people. And we were at breakfast and my sister calls me up and says, do you want a dog? And I was with loads of other people. I was like, my sister just called me and said, I want a dog. dog. (laughs) And they thought I was absolutely batshit crazy, obviously. And so I made the drive from Northampton, Nottingham, somewhere, Oxfordshire, somewhere like that, down Mm -hmm. to Hastings, where my sister lives. And she basically handed me the dog. She was like, she's not getting on with my two dogs. I can't keep her. She's cat obsessed. She's got three cats. She was like, it's not going to go well. Um, here's the dog and I put her in the back of my car and drove home and I'd only just moved in a week before with my now like baby father basically my my fiance and I walked in the door with a dog and his face well and he still hasn't (laughs) forgiven me I really still screwing and all the time he says your dog your dog your dog um but she is 
the love of my life. Like, I love her so much. How old is she? We don't know, you see, because I've had her seven years and they always say when they rescue, because I've I've worked with a lot of rescues now and helped rehome a lot of other dogs and fostered as well. They always kind of say, oh, they're about two. Yeah. But that's usually because people don't want older dogs. So they'll always kind of underestimate their age to get them a home, basically. But what people don't realize is older dogs are smart. My dog lived on the street, looked after herself. She understood things really quick. She was blind, yes, on one side, but I taught her like a lot of words and signals and stuff so that she she picked everything up super fast. We never had to worry about her weeing anywhere. She was just like, yeah, I'm just following you wherever you go, I'm coming. So, you know, she was just amazing from day one. Still thinking about how your partner is still seven years later, still. Yeah, over you. No, he's still annoyed. How is your son though? He's so he's six. So he came along a year exactly after Purdy. Purdy was your first child. Yeah, Purdy's (laughs) the first one, and they have a real sibling rivalry going on as well. They're like, no, I want the attention. No, I want the attention. It's like brother and sister. It's really funny. Uh, But they are. But see, I say this all the time to people. I have two rescue dogs and I say it all the time. You know, dogs, especially especially ones that are full of character and show their character, are are like small children. They're like toddlers, you know, and they behave in the same way, you know, for attention or food or... And men, by the way. You have to train them. Yeah. (laughs) brilliant but does your son love purdy like the way you do yeah but it's more like a sibling they see themselves as equals and they're going to fight for attention and you know they just like bob along together and now he's kind of getting it because he can take her for a walk and all his friends at school all want dogs yeah so then he's like oh is this special i didn't realize kind of thing but he loves animals and like i haven't eaten animals for like 30 something years so i've brought him up the same way Okay. And we're just like real animal lovers and I always teach him to be kind to everything. You never kill anything, even like little bugs, like look what it's doing. Look, we've got frogs, we've got birds, we've got pigeons in the garden. We've got, you know, like everything basically is about be kind to all animals and especially we love dogs and cats, but yeah. So did you grow up with dogs and cats yourself or animals? Yeah, I grew up in the Highlands of Scotland. Oh, wow. In Glenshee, which is near Aviemore, skiing territory, um, grouse shooting. I've skied there. Yeah. There's a single chairlift. Yeah, there is. You're right. <laughs> so I grew up there and it was a strange upbringing because there's only like six kids in my whole entire school. Wow. And it was farming land. So all the other kids were farmers' um, kids. And there was a lot of hunting and shooting and battery farming and things like that. So I very much knew what the real deal was with animals. Six kids in your school, that's mad. Yeah, so I lived on the route up to Balmoral. So every summer, the royal family would come up and grouse shoot and stuff, and they'd always stop off at my school and say hi. Wow. So I thought it was totally normal to see Prince Charles and the Queen. And then um, I used to do Highland dancing at the games and the queen would be there, you know, like just, yeah. just a totally weird, different upbringing to anywhere else. But it is beautiful up there, though. It's yeah, so it's amazing. Probably because you lived up there, it's just normal to you. But for well, yeah, we would have stags and wildcats in the back garden, and so animals were always a big part of my life. I also saw, you know, a lot of hunting and things like that, and I was just like, I don't like this at all. 
And we always rescued animals. So there'd be a cat and the next day it'd be our cat, you know. So that's interesting because people who brought up in in this sort of more natural world of hunting and farming and everything tend to have a slightly different outlook to the shooting and hunting and and the sort of killing of animals for food and things like that. Whereas Mm. obviously that affected you in a completely different way. That's really interesting. Yeah, well, I just had a lot of empathy for them. And if you go salmon fishing and you fish the salmon out at six years old and then someone has to hit it over the head and this is a big creature Mm. and you can see the fear and everything else you're like "Mm, I don't like this you know you have to hammer it over the head to kill it and you very quickly realize and I remember going into battery farms with chickens when I was about six or seven and just thinking this is awful (laughs) so luckily you can obviously pass all this on to your son and you know and bring him up to sort of appreciate animals and yes everything's about being kind Okay, so you've got kind, obviously, about animals, but are there rules for Purdy that everybody follows or who who sets the rules and are there any rules? Not really. I'm not really a rules person. I think with dogs and kids, I think you have to be alpha and you have to be the pack leader. Yeah, exactly. You have to be the top dog. <laughs> and that's what I do. I never really shout. Yeah. I never tell them off, really. It's more about carrot than stick. And that's how I've done it with my dog from the beginning, because she was really fear aggressive and she was um, she had separation anxiety. So I couldn't leave her for like even 30 seconds out of my sight. She would freak out. Yeah. So it's been a long road of like leaving the room for like 20 seconds, 30 seconds, one minute, two minutes, three minutes, like seven years later I can leave her for a bit. (laughs) Oh, bless her. It does happen, especially with rescues. They are more they've had a different you know start to their life really so it's a very and you don't always know what's happened um no, I know with don't. my big dog he wouldn't even come inside to eat for the first oh. sort of few months I mean even though he'd been like with someone like yourself or the foster family for a good six months before we we took him you yeah. know he was still very nervous he's still very nervous about lots of different male people you know people oh. coming into the house or around um and certain big dogs like alsatians german shepherds that type of dog he's really wary of um but he's fine but he's just a bit more you can just see he's on guard a bit more around one dog and he's you know he's a greyhound lurcher he can outrun all of them but they're very sweet dogs though they've got lovely natures yeah they tend to be a bit yeah very timid very laid back and everything but yeah and he'll just sleep all day on the sofa. <laughs> yeah, they say they like a li- quick burst of exercise and then sleep. Yeah, I say they're a bit like Usain Bolt for me. Uh, you know, literally, <laughs> I just see Usain Bolt just, you know, relaxing all day and then suddenly Aww. hitting the track or hitting his race or whatever and just zooming about and then just chilling out for the rest of the day. So, yeah, they're great. So, but that's the thing. So, so personality-wise, obviously, you don't know exactly the breed of Purdy. Oh, but listen, this dog is stubborn. She is like very cool, loves kids, loves um, people crazily enough because they didn't treat her very well. But if you like one day, um, one of the neighbors Rottweilers got out, who's very aggressive and she ran up the road to try and attack. It was me, Harley and my dog. And the dog lunged at us out of nowhere and Purdy was not having it. The street dog came out and she told this dog off and the dog ran off with her tail between her legs. And I was like, oh, I forgot. Yeah, you know how to rumble when it comes to it. But she's the most sweet. She knows what she wants to do. She'll tell you what she wants. She's now very vocal from a dog that didn't bark, didn't 
because there was no point no one would come if you barked you know what I mean so yeah, yeah, yeah. she was just very like and now she's very vocal I I think maybe because she can't see too well so she uses her voice all the time yeah she tells you exactly what she wants and she is a character she's absolutely hilarious but very headstrong and I'm like oh so it's basically just me and a dog exactly <laughs> they like... do say people are like their dogs but obviously you know you didn't choose her you didn't choose that particular breed usually it's people who've chosen a particular breed that you say yeah. oh, you know the owners of dogs look alike and they're similar personalities and blah, blah. but obviously it was meant to be it was meant to be yeah it happened and um she's just cool like you could take her literally anywhere she's got no fear she will follow you we've taken her on the London cable cars we've taken her on the tube she's been everywhere like bossies with granny when i've had to work she's been to radio shows with me she's been in a music video with me she's Aww. she's literally done everything like we do not leave her Superstar. she comes everywhere but that's interesting because she's not a small dog she's not particularly no. small dog. so we had a jack russell for well we lost her a couple of years ago but she was nearly 18 oh, wow. and again she was like our first child and so she came everywhere she like she went mountain biking she's been on the motorbike you know, because she was that sort of more pocket size, I suppose. That size, yeah. You can take in anywhere and people don't mind as much. So that's lovely. But yeah, that's true. With a slightly bigger dog, people tend to be a bit more wary or a bit more... Yeah, they you do. Know. But I won't go and eat anywhere that doesn't allow dogs. I'm like, the dog's not... And there's loads of... um, Like Unity Diner in East London is a vegan right. joint and it does like hot dogs and, you know, like, like fun American diner food, but it's a vegan yeah. spot. Oh, okay. And they welcome dogs. So you can go... And it's really nice in there. Like it's quite fancy for a diner. It's, it's quite bougie. There are a lot more places, I think, now. Loads so many and, and I've seen more people obviously through doing doing this podcast and researching and looking at different things where people are able to take their dogs into different restaurants and cafes you know Mayfair and all sorts of places yeah I love but it I had an instance years and years and years ago where I'd got a job um weirdly working at Butlins I had to, I was promoting again <laughs> some fitness stuff and they booked me to come and do this massive master class like 500 people on a Sunday morning in a nightclub. Imagine how that smelt. This smelled. is amazing, by the way. <laughs> how that smelt. And then, so I had two vine runners at the time and they wouldn't let me oh, into wow. Butlins with my dogs. But no. I went and stayed at the five-star, like, Bailiff's Court, which is a beautiful place down in Sussex, up the road. This is Bognor Regis. And they would let Butlins. you in, right? And they let me in with my dogs. They provide bowls. They provide everything for the yeah. dogs. Uh, and this beautiful sort of, you know, historic building with beautiful furnishings and whatever but they wouldn't let me into buttons with my dogs amazing i was like amazing. well that says just a lot. says it all well i know that mal Maison have always had a dog policy where you can just go and the dog can stay in the, they have rooms where they're dog friendly and stuff yeah exactly so i mean yeah i get it separate you know areas where people because people have allergies to dogs and i understand that you know they don't want to be in a room it's like being in a room where someone's been smoking i once went to dinner with simon lebon in la sidebar oh, look at you name dropping there <laughs> i know right uh, it was very exciting because i loved duran duran back in the day and um my best mate Khalees made a record with them she was like hey we're gonna go to dinner with simon and she was like you know simon and i was like i don't know who you're talking about and she was like simon and then <laughs> i realized she's talking about simon freaking lebon and nearly had a heart attack and i was like i'm gonna ask him about john taylor Where's oh, yeah. John? Because <laughs> John's so hot <laughs> still. And um, he turned out to be the nicest dude you could ever possibly meet in the music industry or anywhere. He was so nice. And he was saying, oh, yeah, well, we've got cats, but I'm highly allergic to cats. So I'm having the therapy where they inject you with a bit of your cat Weird. fur or whatever. 
And um, no, but it's sort of like homeopathy where they just, you know, if you just live with the cat, eventually your eyes will stop watering as much and you'll you build up an immunity. Yeah. But bless him. He was like, yeah, I'm doing it for the family because we love them so much. But, you know, I'm always crying. <laughs> My eyes. They've got dogs as well, I think, haven't they? Because I've seen them locally. To yeah. Meet Yasmin. I used to have bigger crush probably on Yasmin than anyone else. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yas- Yas- Yasmin's like a creature from another planet, isn't she? She's amazing. <laughs> You talked about how you, you know, your upbringing and then you got into you know, art school and into the music industry. To be honest, the music path started for me when I got scouted by Scotland, um, had a, like a scheme to find talented young kids and give them scholarships to music school. Okay. So at six or seven, I got scouted and I got in out of my six people in my school. Wow. And every weekend I would go to um, Dundee to music academy there and they gave me a cello and I did choir and voice lessons and so when I moved to England when I was 11 I ended up going to girls grammar school which was very musical and I continued in orchestras all the way through and I got to like grade eight cello and I was playing you know like high high level but at 14 ish 13 14 I started going to parties and then to clubs way too young (laughs) and got into like the tail end of raves and jumping in people's cars and going off like in convoys to raves in fields and things like that and so that's how I really discovered DJ culture and it came from my love of music and dancing but then there was sort of a light bulb moment where I think I was in a club in London at about 15 or 16 and I was like oh I remember because it was like Trevor Nelson and Roy the Roach and a bunch of these DJs. And I was always looking at them going, I love it. Like the way that the music and the and the crowds and everything. But I'd look and I'd always see their gorgeous girlfriends in the DJ booth. Yeah. But no women DJing. Yes. Yes. And I kind of had this light bulb. I'm going to learn to DJ. That's what I want to do. I want to DJ. And then I bought like the crappest belt drive Technics turntables that I could afford at the time, which was super expensive for, you know, like pocket money and Saturday job or whatever. And that's how it really happened. So I I started really young, like 15, 16, teaching myself to DJ. Oh my God, that's amazing. Played my first club at 17, Bachelor Hall in St. Albans. I know it. That's where I grew up. Do (laughs) you? No way. That's where I'm, that's where I moved to from Scotland. I went to St. Albans Girls School. Oh my goodness. Are you from St Albans? Well, no, Potter's Bar. Potter's Bar, yeah. You have bar. to drop a tea, Potter's Bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But then I lived in, I've spent most of our time, obviously being in Potter's Bar, going to Batchwood. Batchwood. Well, I DJed, that was my first club. Oh, yeah. my God. It just, it just went into administration and closed down. Oh. Bad news. Sad times, 2020. A lot of history happened there. Cl- yeah. yeah, so much, <laughs> so much. <laughs> Yeah, I bet it's still got the same carpet from back in the day. Oh, my God, dang, dang. Carpeted <laughs> clubs, remember them? <laughs> Stench. Oh, That was kind of like how it all started. But then I started um, running all dayers at when I was at art school and DJing and like DJing all the parties for student union and things like that. Yeah. Um. So I started my journey as a kind of promoter and DJ and I've, I've run club nights ever since, to be honest, and had some really successful ones. Well, that's how I sort of discovered you, or came up, not discovered you, but like came up, came across you was, yeah, was the Mums at Rave. So that's something that you yes. set up as well. Yeah, Mums at Rave was set up last year, and then we had like nine raves in a year, I think. Amazing. Um, but I've had club nights in London my whole career, so I've I've had a lot of quite successful ones that I've had. Um, 
some in the West End and then moved to Shoreditch and was doing them there. And then becoming a mum, I was just like, there's no representation of people like me. <laughs> and how do I find it? And then, you know, like Mums at Rave came out of that, basically, where my whole ethos is you don't have to lose who you are as a mum and you can go out and party. And 100%, 100%. It's like saying become an age, you become a mum. People think you have to stay at home with your slippers on and what. Yeah, exactly. And even when I was pregnant, I was on two different tours. I was on tours with All Saints and with Khalees right up until I gave birth. I was on stage doing Manchester Pride, like with about a week left before oh I gave birth. Oh, God. Like, it was, you know, it was intense. Been in tour buses and vans and jumping on stage, nine months pregnant. I wouldn't advocate it to everyone, but at the same time, <laughs> I think it was really important. But you were used to doing it. That's the difference. It's like people start training, yeah. start exercising, you know, from my health and fitness background, people start exercising when they get pregnant. It's like, no. You know, you, if you've been exercising at a certain level and you maintain you it, on, adapt, right? then it's fine. It's the same for you. You've been, yeah. your body is used to that. You're used to that adrenaline, you're used to that that different timetable of sort of night work or, you know what I mean, sort of going at night, working at night. and Yeah, well, two things about that. One is I saw a lot of women in music hide away when they were pregnant. Yeah. Um, and just emerge after the pregnancy like no pictures of them no radio silence the whole time and then emerge about six weeks later looking like age 12 figure oh my god you know what I mean like and I was like why are they hiding this like I know back in the day even the 90s it was very like out there to be a pop star or to be a music and have Naina Cherry was probably the only person Naina and Mel from All Saints as well she did it she was on stage in her low-cut combats yeah. dancing with a belly, you yeah. know. But really, there hasn't been much representation of pregnant women in music, um, how you deal with it, especially not DJs. No. Well, well, there are very few female DJs that people could name as well. That's the thing. Other than, you know, radio yeah. presenter DJ, but not like club, you know, people like yourself who do more sort of club yeah. event DJs. There's... Um, there's tons of us now compared to when I started. There was about three when I started in 89. But, um, yeah, there's not much um, representation. And also the women that we do have represented, we always see, like, young ones coming through and then they disappear. There's not much longevity, I think. There's, like, some female DJs I can name that have been around for years and years. And I don't even really like the term female DJ. I try not to use it. I just say we're all just DJs because it's gender neutral anyway, isn't yep. it? But, um, but yeah, so I just thought there was a massive lack of representation. And like when I saw no representation of women DJing back in the late eighties and nineties, and I thought I'm going to do that. That's what I thought with being pregnant. I was like, it's really important for me to document this, show me on stage at festivals, say I'm doing this and I'm doing that. I'm on stage all the time. I'm doing clubs. Like I'd be in clubs and people would question but weirdly, it was always women questioning why I was there. How I'm funny. like, well, this is my weekly party. And they'd be like, well, why are you still working? I'm like, because I'm not sick. I'm DJing. I'm absolutely fine. Exactly. And this is my party where I'm earning my money. You wouldn't say that to someone going on the tube, going to their office job, would you? No, but we get that sort of judgment all the time. And it was never men. I was training a client. I was doing some personal training when I was pregnant with my eldest. And I was so, I had stopped training most people about two weeks before, but then she was six days late. Oh, wow. And so I rang one of my clients the day before. Uh, I didn't know it was going to be the day before she was born, but I was so bored. I was like, well, I'm coming to train you. I was like, because I was desperate to 
get this thing out. <laughs> she was like <laughs> hiking around everywhere. I was like lifting weights for her going, come on, come on. Just, you oh know, my goodness. literally the next you day. So okay, strong, but, though. Well, no, but, you know, I was training her. I wasn't physically doing it. I was just standing telling yeah. her what to do, but lifting weight, you know, supporting her and lifting weights and changing the weights for her and everything in her gym. I could just, I was so bored as well. You know, I was like, right, get this thing out. You know, I'm, this is just enough now. Six days late as well. Yeah, I think my, Harley was like four or five days late, I think. But I wasn't stressed about that. They were because they kept calling me geriatric mother because I didn't when I was 40. It's like, this is rude. I still look in my prime. Thank you very much. <laughs> Let's try and get back to some of the celebs then. Who's the person that you have met that you've been most starstruck by? Honestly, I don't really get starstruck because I came up hanging out with Khalees. Like, yeah. And that was I was already 24, 25 when I was hanging with Pharrell and Khalees and all sure. those people. And had my club nights where Madonna would come and Missy Elliott would come and um, Ludacris and Run DMC and all these people would come. And I was like, well, this is my party with my friends. We're cool. And I think also because maybe because you are in that industry, they obviously treat you more as an equal rather than, you know, a fan. Nah, they, ne- they didn't really. They were like, who is this chick? Like, oh, really? That was more the, okay. Yeah. And I remember Jay-Z like doing parties for him and him standing in the booth with me and just going, what is going on here? He couldn't quite understand like how we were doing all this stuff in London, like running the parties, DJing, doing, you know what I mean? Like it was, yeah, but I guess um, doing parties for him and Beyonce, there's always hype around that. And I remember Beyonce's security, I'd done the party with my friend and then he was like, not trying to let me in the VIP after I was sweating and DJed for like three hours and kind of pushed me out of the way. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Like, I just do not work like that. I don't care who you are. I treat everyone exactly the same. Well, exactly. I was going to say, it's probably who's the biggest diva. But um, I remember doing parties for Mariah and she had a waiter stand. It was so hilarious to me because <laughs> um, with a fan so that there was like blowing air. Oh, my God. You know, like she always has fans in her videos. Yeah, 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 yeah. For her. But Mariah's really nice. Like little Kim's really nice. I had a night out once where I was DJing and then I ended up going to China White's with Tom Jones. Love um, him. And I just love Tom Jones. And that was probably someone I really didn't know what to say to him. And, okay. And plus, if I've been DJing, like I'm, I'm just like over it by the time I finish. So I'm like, hi, you're right. And that's how I was with everyone. Yeah. I'm just like, hi, you're okay. Like, I'm not trying to suck up to anyone. I'll be nice, but this is, you know, work and it's my party or whatever. I'm like, hey, what's up? You know, <laughs> just normal. Any well-known sort of friends or celebrities that you have inspired to love dogs more? Do you know what? My best friend, Khalees, um, she had little dogs before, small little ones. I think Shih Tzu, which was gorgeous. I loved her. Chaletta, she named her Porkchop. Oh my God. And she had Harlem. And I can't remember what Harlem was, but now she's living on a farm and she's a farmer and she's just got, I think, three French Pyrenees dogs. The huge mountain dogs that hurt animals. Um, And she absolutely, when I tell you she's become like me with my dogs, the dogs follow her everywhere. She's very alpha. And she's like, oh, yeah, I love these dogs so much. I like, get it now. They're my best friends. I get it now. I yeah, get it I get now. it. I totally get it. I'm and really... they they just, they're huge. They're like the size of a Shetland pony kind of size dog. Well, I suppose <laughs> she's got the space for them now. It's a perfect setting. She's got a, a lot of space. Amazing. And um, they go really well with her outfits. 
they Perfect. look amazing with her amazing clothes. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so yeah, I would say, yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy whenever I see her on the farm with her big dogs. So this year, obviously, you've been home more because obviously yeah. events and DJing around the world has not happened. Well, every single gig got cancelled and we got pulled off tour oh. in March. I was on tour with Khalees doing her um, Kaleidoscope K20 tour because it's 20th anniversary of our friendship, most importantly, and her first album coming out. Oh, wow. Um, so we were doing that tour all over Europe and then we kind of got stuck and we had to fly out from different places and try and get home and it was all crazy and I caught COVID what they think is twice so I had I think I got it in January 1st when I was traveling on my own DJing and the, in Europe and then pretty much got it on tour and so did other people oh, um, so then I had long COVID which I'm still kind of suffering from but almost better breathing issues exhaustion heart pains all these things like my sense of taste and smell went for ages. Um, wow. So all these mad things have happened this year and all the gigs went. So I was kind of just had to be kumbaya about it and think, you know, I'm going to try and see everything as a positive because we didn't pass away. We were okay. We've survived it. But it's hard though. It's hard though because I think, you know, when you've had that really like mega frenetic sort of lifestyle where you're touring and you're on stage and you're performing and you're sort of on that massive yeah. sort of you know performance high if you like which I you know I've had in past lives as well with work and stuff it's very hard then I think adjusting coming back home it can be great and grounding to come back home back to reality yeah. if you like with music people well me I've never had an employer so I've had like various tours that have employed me. But if I get fed up, I'm like, I work for myself, mate. If I'm not feeling this, I'm leaving. And I've okay. always been that person. So I've never had job security. So it's been easier for me to cope with this than most yeah. people. Plus, I work every day from home on my own, creating on my own in the studio or with my brother. Yes, can I just say, I've been listening with your fantastic mixes. I still can't get that Pose one out. Oh, thanks. I love it on Mixcloud. So again, yeah, I love Pose so much. I had to do that. Yeah, so if I'm at home, I'll be doing, you know, like my various different hustles or I'm creating a mix or if I'm putting a show together for someone or um, I've been lucky enough to do music for fashion shows and TV, but it's all self-reliant, self-motivated. Yep. I, I do all the invoices. I do all the yep. business stuff. So for me, being on my own at home was just the norm. It's just yeah. that all the touring got cancelled and yeah. all my security for the year and all my money for the year. But um, I had to look at it as, well, I had COVID and couldn't breathe and thought me and my husband, he's never been ill a day in his life and he was really sick. Wow. And my kid got it as well. And then my, my husband's uncle passed away from it. Oh, no. So very quickly things were put in perspective where I'm yeah. like, I can now walk to the end of the street and breathe again a bit better so I'm not going to moan about not having work or not no. I'm here and I'm around and whatever happens I'll be all right so that's the way I've looked at it basically yeah. and how's it work with the dynamic obviously if you when you are away of the dog and obviously you said you know your husband's not that keen on the dog oh no he loves her now he do, don't he tries to front but he loves her and she loves him um, but he's since Harley was born, being an actor, he's been away for like up to six months of the year, sure, yeah. every year in tours, um, doing yeah. stage, Shakespeare, Royal National Theatre, all that kind of stuff. 
Um, so I was used to just being on my own and and then go to work at night, like, and not have very much sleep. So if it came to it, granny would come from East London and make the trip and so that I could have the night to go to sure. work and then come back and then do the school run in the morning. I've flown to LA on a Friday and been back to do the school run Monday morning. That, that kind loud. of shenanigans. Yeah. So it's probably been quite nice being at home, aside from the sort of... No, I, I would have liked a trip to look forward to. I've never not been in a club for longer than a week. <laughs> so hip-hop's obviously a massive part of your life as well. So you've got hip-hop homes as well. We mean, um, yeah. producer Katie were chatting just before you came on and she'd seen all your stuff and she was going, oh, I love that, I love that. I was like, yeah, I know, yeah. it's amazing. Oh, that's nice. I love it when people love our stuff. Um yeah, so Hip Hop Homes came out of my... Because when I grew up DJing, I loved spinning hip hop. That's kind of how I taught myself, but also spinning house as well. So I've always loved... I've always had a foot in each camp and producing records with my brother. We've always produced a bit of drum and bass, electronic house, bit of hip hop. Like, that's our influences. Oh, and dancehall and reggae as well. Amazing. Um, But yeah, hip hop, I've obviously done loads and loads of work with hip hop artists and had loads of hip hop club nights and stuff. So it was just kind of a natural progression. And I met another mum locally, Amanda, who's an artist, who's my partner in hip hop homes. And she started doing pieces for me on tour. So she was making me amazing jackets and we'd, we'd kind of figure out designs to do. And then I was like, what if we did this? But instead of my face on jackets, we put like hip hop artists and icons and lyrics and my brother's a designer as well. So he does all our lyric designs. So we've got two different types of designs. We've got like the artwork designs, which are incorporate like artists, Amanda's artist impressions of hip hop artists. And then we do all the lyrics as well. So we That's do amazing. prints of iconic hip hop lyrics and we kind of fuse the two things together. And That's what's great about your, your, training I suppose you know you've got that art background and the music background and then just design generally I'm very good at like creative directing and saying this should look like this this is how we should do it and and that and my brother is also a creative director and he as well as being a music producer he directs tv and he does like stuff for youtube what a family my goodness yeah and don't even get me started on my sister she set up this amazing project for musicians during covid called audio trope which has helped hundreds of musicians to market their music Amazing. and perform during this time. So yeah, shouts to her for that. So Glen Shee, yeah, quite we're pretty, a family. Yeah, we're pretty motivated. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, so yeah. obviously, also rescuing dogs, adopting shop is one of your big things as well. So um, tell us about any charity, a charity that's particularly you know close to you. Okay, so I love Nikki Tibbles, a Wilder Heart Foundation. She is my G. She is absolutely frigging amazing. The work that she's done, not only with neutering programs in Puerto Rico and after the hurricanes, and she's res- helped rescue dogs from all over the globe, literally. And she's doing programs with kids to in countries where they might not have dogs as pets to, sure. to kind of educate kids because it starts young, doesn't yeah. it? Your love yeah. of animals and how to treat them. And you usually learn that through learned behavior because most kids absolutely love animals and it's not their natural thing to hurt them or be mean to animals. If you show like most little kids, when I'm walking with Purdy, they'll all be like doggy at two years old. They want to interact with them. They want to love them. And 
So, yeah, Nikki Tibbles does amazing, amazing work and has helped me with some rescues in the past. So I will always DJ all her fundraisers, yep. whatever. We yep. make cushions for her. We've got a dog, two different dog designs, actually, which we have on the website, which we sell and give. Well, um, I should be looking at those. Gonna, yeah, they're <laughs> amazing. There's one that kind of looks like Snoop, but a dog. It's oh, really brilliant. cool. Brilliant. Um. And then there's also Graham at Rescue and Rehome R&R in Cyprus who does amazing work and he helped with my foster dog get her out and he helps rehome dogs that have really had tough lives on the streets and either been bred over there and then discarded. It's happened a lot with like big breeds and huskies and dogs de Bordeaux and dogs that really shouldn't be in 120 degree oh my God. heat. Yeah. Um, and there's also Noah's Ark and SPCP, I think, Cyprus. Okay. Um, so because my dog came from there, I just know a lot of people over there that are just normal, everyday people. They don't have funding. They don't have backers. They just literally rely on donations and their own money. And they've rehomed hundreds of dogs all over the place, Cyprus, but also in Germany. and Because sometimes with huskies and those kind of dogs you can't keep a dog like that there yeah. they have to rehome them in the netherlands or somewhere further north yeah but yeah they're all my friends that i directly Amazing. directly know and help and um and then basically i'm just really passionate about adopt don't shop and i know this year oh my gosh it's been a little depressing for me yep. quite honestly because everyone's buying puppies again i know i know and i'm really worried that a lot of those pups are going to get discarded next year when people go back to work there's going to be a massive influx of unwanted dogs because those little puppies grow up and those little puppies need looking after all the time so I'm totally with you and I'm just thinking oh yeah you have to treat them like a child yeah. and if you're not willing to put in that amount of work don't get it's one not just but an accessory I would also say there's a massive misunderstanding with rescue versus getting a pup because many of those pups that people are buying have not had the best start a lot of people buy pups without going into the home yeah. without seeing the mum and dad without yeah. knowing where they've come from um, there's a lot of lies that get told. There's a massive problem in this country of puppy farming. And um, I would say, like, you don't always know that it's had the best start. And sure. also with breed dogs, like, I've always had rescues since I was a kid. They've all lived, no joke, the, the youngest one was probably 16. The others have lived to up to 20 years because mm -hmm. they're mixed. Because yeah. you know with genetics, like, my sister's got a curly coat retriever, and um, her partner at the time really wanted this breed. And there are other dogs are rescue. But the rescue is like got absolutely zero health issues. The curly coats has to have. He's the most beautiful boy, gorgeous dog ever. But he, he's got hips, hip dysplasia. And he has to have um, thermal treatment and swimming pool treatment every week. And there's mm. a lot of times when um, breeds have these issues where yeah, you're yeah. going to have to get Overbred. health issues yeah from overbreeding yeah. so there's a lot of things that people that haven't had dogs all their life and just go out and buy a pup they might not be prepared for exactly you know so no, I'm, I'm with you I'm with you I would always advocate because also why does it make sense breeding new animals into existence for vanity because you want a dog for the way it looks when exactly. there's dogs that are getting killed in shelters literally life and death yeah. So you're yeah. you're breeding more problems into the world. Like yeah. Our little one, we just uh, got 
about a year and a half ago. She's um, Jack Russell with a hint of Chihuahua, they think. And oh, she's a nutter. And she <laughs> she is, we call her Ziggy, but she should have been called FOMO because she hates missing out on anything. She's exactly like that. She was a rescue from a Jack Russell rescue centre. Um, because mm. my children did want a younger dog. Obviously, we'd had our very old Jack yeah, Russell. And but there's loads. Had... That's what people don't realise. All rescue dogs have been neutered as well. So, you know, people can't just buy them and breed them. Um, the only other thing I would say is when people have dogs, please just don't leave them outside shops or tied up anywhere. But that's the other thing. People steal dogs, you know, as well. Yes, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Because people are so desperate to get dogs, people think yeah, it's a moneymaker. But also for dog fighting bait. Yeah. So I don't want, really want to go into that yeah. because it's evil. Mm. But just never, if you've got a dog and you've never had a dog before, do not ever tie them upside outside anywhere, school, yeah. shops, wherever. Just don't do it. Treat them like your kids. It's yeah. the same thing. Yeah. They're basically the same. Well, they are. They are. They are like kids. Yeah. And actually, they're better behaved probably than my kids. Both. Yeah. <laughs> Mine are teenagers. So. <laughs> what dog would you be and why? What dog would I be and why? That is so hard because I do not have favourite breeds. Um, I think it would be Purdy. Purdy, they are. It would be Purdy because she's a bit street. She doesn't take any shit from anyone, but she's the kindest, sweetest dog in the world and loves kids. And that's me. So kind, a bit street sassy, bit edgy. Yeah, she's always up for a rave. She always wants to go everywhere. Brilliant. I love it. Thank she's you. got FOMO for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's definitely Purdy. Purdy, perfect. Well, I'll let you go. And thank you so, so much. It's been amazing. No and I cannot wait for any of your events oh yeah 2021 i'm thinking like realistically i don't think clubs and um festivals will be back till late 2021 that's yeah. my prediction yeah. okay um but yeah when when it happens it's going to be it's go big or go home exactly. mate. it's going to be mum's at rave i will be mum's at rave follow me on all of these things but yeah. mostly follow dj nikki beatnik and check my music because I have some amazing records that I've made and I'd love everyone to stream them. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And they are incredible and such a talent. But mostly I'm coming around to your house to try on all your jackets, shoes and hats. Well, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. I might not give out my postcode just yet. But yeah, yeah. I have to give them. I just need to try them on. I love them. My neighbours will be like, there's a crazy lady with dogs walking up and down the street looking for you, Nikki. <laughs> brilliant thank you so much nikki and, no problem uh, thanks for being on top dogs no humans today thank you so much for having me and that is all for this episode of top dogs and their humans make sure you join in the conversation online you can follow the podcast on instagram at suzy cox live and at top dogs and the humans or use the hashtag tdath t-d-a-t-h if you can subscribe, rate and review, it really helps bring more people to our podcast. And so does telling a friend about us. Or how about someone you've met while out walking your dog? I'll be back next time with another great guest. But until then, keep those top dog tails wagging. <coughs> top Dogs and Their Humans is produced by Birdline Media. Birdline Media.